If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's been uh, four years since I've preached at Jubilee. Uh, last time I was here, I had a broken foot. That's what I remember. Do you remember that too? Um, so I, I, I thought that that was surprising, um, just not necessarily because time flies, um, but because I thought that I did a really good job last time. I thought I crushed it. <laughs> I thought the sermon was really good last time. And I thought I'd be invited back sooner, and it wouldn't take like four years. It's like the World Cup around here. I'm so close to Brian, and I'm such a good friend. And uh, I get to preach every, twice every decade. So <laughs> the reason it feels like I've been here more recently is that my wife was here, I think a little over a year ago at a women's retreat, maybe. So she is um, potentially a better speaker than I am, and then uh, for certain, like a better person than I am. She's a better person. So uh, yeah, I'm missing her. Our four girls are just not so little anymore, um, which is bringing some new challenges. But I have a 14-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter, 9-year-old daughter, uh, 7. I had to write these numbers down. Uh, 7-year-old daughter and a a a little girl who just turned 6. So uh, we are looking forward to coming back this summer. Uh, we're, we're headed this summer to the city museum. I have longed. In California, you would get sued for that thing. Whatever that thing is, is a lawsuit in California. I bet it is here too, but it's especially a lawsuit in California. So we, we go there and we're like, none of this is up to code. This is amazing. <laughs> so our, our, our desire has been to take our kids to the city museum. So depending on how well this goes, I might be invited back in 2024. So uh, we planted Radiant. The church that I pastor, we planted 15 years ago. And so uh, my wife and I uh, said yes to planting a church. And we did successfully start a church. But right now, um, we're learning how to sustain a church. It's one thing to start. It's a whole nother to, to finish. And so it takes a lot of faith to say yes and step out and step into a new role. But honestly, it also takes a lot of faith to say yes and stay and stay in the same spot and just continue to faithfully serve and make sacrifices. Anybody feeling what I'm saying here? I'm feeling it because it's more like the first service was preaching at nine, which is essentially preaching at seven. So I wasn't feeling the first service because it was 7 a.m. Now it's more like nine and I'm feeling it. So, um, you know, okay, so like you guys, we've had now a few building campaigns. And like you guys, we've sent out a few churches. And like you guys, we've said goodbye to some close friends. And that stuff, I just have a new appreciation for Jubilee because it's difficult to sustain your yes, not just to say yes. We can all say yes, say yes. Yes. I'm talking about sustaining that. 
over the long haul. We're, we're learning about that as a church. And I just really appreciate this church for that reason. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this church, the people in this church don't just serve this church, but they serve other churches, mine being one of them. This worship team and uh, the couple who led us in worship, they don't just serve this church. They serve our church. They serve churches. And so there's a lot of sacrifice in becoming a base church, an ascending church. And so I'm just super thankful for the yes. I love the serve culture here. I love the yes in this church. And I want to see it stay a yes. So I want to talk about a word that will change your life, which is yes. But what changes your life is that you continue to say it. Just so appreciate Brian. He serves us, my elders, not just his elders, my elders call Brian. And he picks up. It's amazing. And not with like, they don't even call with good questions. One of them called with like, what's the weather like? (laughs) And Brian graciously served our team and said, bring pants, you know. (laughs) He could have said like, you have a weather app. Stop calling me. Of my own elders and my own church. Look it up. But he doesn't. He serves. And so I, I love the serve culture in here. Like you, my Chick-fil-A. This place <laughs> serves us with like, a, would you like a refresher? It's like, what's a refresher? A refill? Yeah, I'll take one. So how do we not just say yes? We all know how to say yes. How do we keep saying yes? It's kind of the question I've been living in. And uh, everyone knows about the progression, like the scale of yes. Like, yes, we're planting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh Uh-huh. I guess, yeah. I guess that's what we're doing, aren't we? I'd rather not. Uh, I've done that before. You know, now's not really a good time for me right now. It's just a tough time. And, you know, we've done, gosh, we've done one of those groups for, I don't know. We've been doing it since Travis preached last time. It's been a while. (laughs) And then turns into a, hey, listen, leave me alone. Like, you asked me for that. I don't have it to give. I'm spent. I'm tapped. Show's over. Don't. And we all know that progression, not just here at church, but at home, at work. How do we keep saying yes is the question uh, I've been asking. What's the fuel as we follow Jesus? What's the fuel to follow Jesus who said, you're not here to be served. You're here to serve. How do we keep serving and avoid the spectrum, right? So I want to ask you four questions as we read through Matthew 20. We're going to read the whole chapter uh, together. Brian told me I could go long at the 11. So, so, (laughs) sorry. Sarcasm is a sign of like, I feel at home here. So (laughs) it starts to get like drier and you start wondering, was that a joke? It's because I really love being here. Um, 
So I think answering these questions is important and telling if you're going to sustain a yes. So the first question is, what do you deserve? What do you deserve? How you answer this question will determine if you serve. It'll determine like how you serve, like more Chick-fil-A or like Popeye's. You in a Popeye's place? It'll, <laughs> it'll also, um, it, it'll determine how long you serve. If your yes remains a yes. It will be based on how you, ask, how you answer the question, what do you deserve? So starting in Matthew 20, if you have a Bible, you can read along. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarius for a day, and then he sent them into his vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace. They weren't doing anything, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. And then he went out again around noon, and then he went out at three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out, and he found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They said, well, because no one has hired us. And he said, you also go work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers in and pay them their wages. Begin with the last ones hired and then go on to the first. And the workers who were hired at five in the afternoon, they came and they each received a denarius. So when, so when those came who were hired first, they expected, duh, to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Wait, these who were hired last worked only one hour, worked only one hour they said. And then you made them equal to us. We who've borne the burden of the work and borne the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Am I being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I want to give the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jesus is here with this uh, story. Um, trying to help those who, who think in terms of fair. You see life through the lens of what is fair. He's trying to help us understand grace. He's trying to help us understand what life in grace looks like. Grace being God's unmerited favor. We don't need any help looking through the lens of Fair. We need help understanding grace. It'll take a lifetime for us to get our heads around this idea of unmerited favor from God and how that works itself out in us. So he's trying to help them put on grace goggles. I know you have the lenses of like what's fair, but I want to help you see through the lens of grace. And he tells this story. 
The reason Jesus helped them with a story is because people don't remember sermons. They remember stories. You'll remember stories, I told them, probably not the sermon, but I'm going to preach it anyway. So, fair, I, I've, there's a lot of things I'm trying to teach my girls. I've never had to teach them about what's fair. I never sat down with them to say, look, okay, what I want to be in your life ultimately is fair, yet they continually throw that complaint in my face. You know, I, I never said, my goal for 2020 is just fair. I want to be fair, you know? So, but they think it's important to hold me accountable to something I never said I wanted to be in the home. I never sat down with Finley and said, hey, listen, so what you're going to want to do is when your sister gets something you don't, you take that flag, you're going to throw that flag because that's not fair, you know? I don't, you don't have to teach people what's fair. That comes naturally. We're born, born with a deep desire for fair. What's right? You know, what's just, right? We want what's fair. Or so we say. We want fair some of the time. When someone wrongs us, when someone sins against us, well, doggone it, we want justice. When you've sinned or you've wronged someone, you want them to understand where you were coming from and know your heart. That was my heart, brother. We want grace. We want patience. So we want fair sometimes. We want what we deserve sometimes, but we don't want what we deserve all the time. So what you need to know from this parable, there's a lot that we could talk about, but here's what you need to know, and this is so true for us, is that your desire for what is fair starts to increase as you work and serve. Because an equation forms, my effort equals this. I served and I deserve. That's what crops up in us. I did this and I should get this, right? So the vineyard in this passage is Israel. And the workers who got there early, those are God's people. We know that, right? Just the people who got here at 6 a.m., those are God's people, <laughs> If you got here at 11.15, chances are you're probably like, I'm not one of God's people today. <laughs> but the people who got there early, those are God's people. And they've been working and they've been waiting since the beginning of the day. And right now they're having to hear the sermon again. So godly. And then there are those who are getting in late and getting paid the same in the parable. And those are the Gentiles and the tax collectors and the sinners Matthew himself, the guy who authored this book, was a guy who started his shift at five. Started at five, and yet he was grafted in. He got paid the same. He was enjoying all the same benefits of salvation, and he started his work day at five. They haven't worked nearly as long, but they're enjoying all the same benefits. And obviously, the workers who got there early they're upset. They're offended. These people who didn't work nearly as hard are enjoying all the good. So the landowner asks questions. 
And I don't think that these are just questions from a landowner. I think these are the questions that would come from our Lord to us. Would you be willing to close your eyes with me? I won't do anything weird. I believe the Lord would ask you these questions. Have I been unfair? Have I been unfair to you? Haven't I fulfilled my word to you? Haven't I been faithful to my promise in your life? I believe the Lord would say, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? God would say, are you sure you're going to tell me what to do? Are you sure you want to do that? The third question the landowner asks, and I believe the Lord would ask us this morning, is are you envious because I'm generous? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Has your desire to have become a desire for others not to have? You can open your eyes. What happens for you when the people around you receive all the same payoffs without putting in the same work? I watch people in my church come into Radiant And man, they want to belong and they have to work hard for that. They feel like they're putting themselves out there week after week. And then someone just waltzes in and in a matter of weeks have what took you years to build. They're grafted in and they seem to be enjoying all the perks of this without making all the sacrifices that you had to make. What happens for you when that happens? Just want to say uh, on behalf of this church, like, we need everyone to pull off what we're doing at the vineyard. If you got here at 6 a.m., man, thank you. We love you. If you were here at the 9 and now you're back at the 11, awesome. If you got here at 11.15, we want you. We're so glad you're here. We need you to pull this off. There's a bigger story than just our wages. There's a work to be done, and we want everyone to join us in it. This is a funny statement, uh, what do I deserve? Because um, you can say it in one of two ways. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this can be said one of two ways. When I'm looking at photos of my kids while I'm in St. Louis, they're playing, enjoying the morning, a slow Saturday morning with flapjacks. I can look at those photos and just think, oh, I don't deserve this. God, you've been so gracious to me. When I get back with those kids and they wake me up at 545 (laughs) because somebody was trying to pour a full gallon of milk something they can't actually handle. And now that milk is everywhere. I say it in a very different way. I don't deserve this. (laughs) You like look up to heaven like, what have I done to deserve this? 
I deserve better kids than these kids. You know how hard I've worked? My wife, I can look at my wife and be like, man, I don't deserve this. And then literally the next day be in an argument with my wife and be like, I don't deserve this. Whatever this is, I don't deserve it. My church as a pastor, I can look out some Sundays are like magic. I look out, I think, oh my goodness, look what the Lord has done. I don't deserve this. I've made a lot of mistakes. Look at this beautiful bunch of people that the Lord has gathered. And then there are other days where I think to myself, I don't deserve this. I don't get paid enough for this. I don't want to be part of this anymore, and I lead this, you know? What do you deserve? We never deserve more than to serve God. We never deserve more than to serve the God that we love and the people around us. You never deserve more than that. And if you're going to have a sustained yes, you're going to have to let go of the lens of fairness and begin to see grace. You're going to have to let go of fighting on that front. We never outgrow a life of service. You'll never be entitled to more than serving the God you love and the people around you. I was thinking about this, that like, um, we're Christians, and then as Christians, like, we can't agree on much. If you're new to the family, we're like any family. There are some things that we don't agree on, and that'll become increasingly evident as we approach the upcoming election, which is something I'm excited about. (laughs) It'll become increasingly clear. Here's what we can agree on. Here's what every believer can agree on. We don't want what we deserve. We don't want that. We died to what we deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We want grace for ourselves. We don't want what's fair for others. We want grace for others. Those who came in at noon, we want grace for them. Those who came in at five, we want grace for them. We can agree on that. We don't want what we deserve. And that's what unites us as Christians. The second question I wanted to ask you is how do you see God? Because how you answer this question will determine the yes inside of you. Uh, Tozer writes well on this, and I'll paraphrase his thoughts, but they are simply that no group of people has ever risen above their view of God. Or to put it in like Trav talk, the the God that you see is the Christian that you'll be. That's true. You meet a mad Christian, I can almost guarantee you that their view of God, you know, they're not like, God's smiling over me, you! You know, that's not how that works. The God you see is the Christian uh, that you'll be. So we're constantly having to tend to our view of God. Jesus, starting in verse 17, he's going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem. It's a little bit different than every other trip. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law 
they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, then flogged, then crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. As you're tending to your view of God, can I ask you a question? Are you primarily serving him? Or are you aware of the very real ways in which he's serving you? Are you primarily doing things for him? Or are you in touch with what he's done for you? I drove to the airport on Saturday at 5 a.m. and I was riding with a friend and just this little thought popped into my head. And I thought to myself, Lord, we're doing a lot with the little that you've given us. We're doing a lot with the, the scraps. I think Rich Mullins put it best when he said, you're just up there playing hard to get. Just cropped up inside of me, aware of it. How many of you have felt that before? I'm down here serving, sacrificing, giving, loving, extending, planning, working. And you're up there literally doing God knows what because only you know what you're doing. None of us know what you're doing. And the election's coming. And slowly the temptation for any pastor and anyone who serves in this church, this slow creep to serve God out of a small view of God. This slow creep to have your Christian service be fueled by this desire to bail God out of this mess he got himself in. And slowly, as you serve, your view of God can shrink. Because I'm down here, eking it out on $38,000 a year, and you're up there walking on streets of gold. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm exaggerating it now, but the only reason we're laughing is because you know this lives in you as well. The person who has a life of sustained service, the person who's saying yes and staying in that posture of yes is aware of how God's serving them. And they're saying something like this. Jesus, you've served me. Jesus, you initiated. Jesus, you gave. Jesus, you're planning. Jesus, you're planting. Jesus, you're gifting. Jesus, you're grafting. Jesus, you died. Jesus, you rose. Jesus, you filled me with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you've given me everything I need for life and godliness. I'm not working with scraps here. You've served me. That's what sustains a yes inside of us, is tending to our view of God. If you were to picture yourself carrying something with Jesus, Who's holding the heavier end of the furniture? I fear that for some of us, Jesus has become the guy with chips going, I wouldn't move it like that. It'd hurt your back, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. You're going to scratch the doors. You want to keep it right in line. You're unaware of the weight that he's carrying. What lands on him? What he's shouldering? He's holding the heavier part. And you have to tend to your view of God if you're going to sustain your 
Yes. Number three, you don't just have to ask the question of like, how do you see God? You, you have to redefine how you understand greatness. So how do you define greatness? This is something important, a question to ask if you're going to sustain yes. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. This passage pushes all my buttons, a fairly controlling, manipulating mom. And so I just feel squirmy when I read this. So she comes and she says, kneeling down to ask a favor of him, well, what is it that you want? Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And then Jesus said, well, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And then the boys chimed in. Oh, we can. And then Jesus said, great, you will. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this and then the 100 here, we were indignant at the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and he said, hey, look, guys, you know the rulers of the Gentiles? You know how they lorded over them? And their high officials, they exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as, as a ransom for many. What do you think it means to be great? What position is that on the field? What position is that at work? What position is that in this church? What do you think it means to be great? And what's your definition? I love how Jesus would come strong with these guys and just be like, hey, you want to be great? Great. No problem. Let me redefine what greatness is for you. Because I'm scared you pick something up from the culture. You're looking at the Gentiles and you're thinking, oh, this is a way to be served. And I just want you to understand that no position on the field means that you're not going to serve. You know how the Gentiles, they like lord it over people. Well, now you're in the Lord's army and it works a little differently than that. So you don't pull rank in those ways. Greatness is serving, not being served. And he redefines greatness for them. Jesus is saying here in this passage, no matter how great you become in the kingdom, it'll never mean anything more than serving God and serving the people around you. Let me reframe that for you. I came not to get, I came to give, Jesus would say. Give my life as a ransom for many. So where, what do you think it means to be great? And where, where would you get that? What do you think greatness is? Where'd you get that definition? And would you settle with the reality that you're going to serve your whole life long? And there's at no point a position that isn't going to require us to serve on the field. How would you define greatness? As, as lastness? Whoa. As lowliness? As momness? Is that your definition of greatness? Well, it's his. The fourth question, if you're going to sustain a, a yes inside of you, is this question of, are you open to interruptions? Are you willing uh, to be interrupted? Is an important part of serving. 
Henry Nouwen, he wrote about this now famous conversation, um, which helped him think about interruptions as something more than just a bother. He writes, while visiting the University of Notre Dame, where I had been a teacher for a few years, I met an older, experienced professor who had spent most of his life there. And while we strolled over the beautiful campus, he said with a certain melancholy in his voice, you know, Henry, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. There's something in us that desires to be productive and just then forgets about people. Not so with Jesus. We, we can get so obsessed with the task that we can even forget who we're doing the task for. Don't get in the way. I'm, I'm up to this. Well, this is in order to serve them, but they're in the way of this, you know? Not Jesus. Keep reading with me. As Jesus and his disciples leave Jericho, Jericho help me, where they headed? To Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Flogged, mocked, beat. He set his face like flint towards the cross. He's, he's got a pretty crazy week ahead of him. So he's walking, and he's got to be thinking to himself, I got a, I got a crazy week ahead of me. He knows where he's headed. He's got a lot on his plate. And he's probably thinking some things, you know, like, I wonder what I'll do with the last week of my life. Wonder what it is to be forsaken by God and die. I wonder what it'll be like to pull, have your beard pulled from your face. He's got like a few things on his plate. Would you agree? I got a bit, yeah, I got a, what's, what's, your, what's your week like? Well, I got a busy week. I'm going to divide like BC from AD. That's what I got going this week. Oh, my bad. That's quite a week. Just divide human history in half. That'll be awesome. So he's marching. He's got his face set like flint. He knows exactly where he's going. He's on his way to the cross and he takes a call. He takes a call. There's two blind guys sitting by the roadside. They heard that Jesus was going by. They started shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd's like, shut up. He's got somewhere to go. Can't you think? He's a man on a mission right now. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. And then he called to them. And he didn't just say, I'll be healed and be quiet. And he could have. We've seen him heal that way. He stops and he goes, hey, what do you guys want me to do for you? A question that I haven't asked my wife or my kids or my church or anyone next to me for a really long time. Because I got things to do. And I can't even handle that. I don't know what you want from me. And I'm not actually interested because I got a long list of things I need to take care of. And so I was just thinking to myself, when's the last time I came to my staff and said, hey, is there anything I can do to serve you? When's the last time I came to my wife? Hey, do you have any thoughts about what I should do today? No. <laughs> I mean, if I came back saying that to her, she'd be like, what happened in St. Louis? I met God, you know. I mean, that would be, 
the feeling. I just, I can't get my head around Jesus. We love Jesus here. He's amazing. If you don't know him, you should. You've got to know him. He stops. Hey, what can I do? Oh, we want to see. He has compassion on them. And he heals them. I love this passage because after Jesus talked about power and how power should be used rightly and how we use power to serve and not lord over, here he is on the way to the cross serving and bringing his power to bring wholeness in these guys' lives. At the end, Jesus remembers the very reason he's headed to the cross. It's not like he's so focused on the task that he forgets why he's doing the task. He knows he's headed to the cross because people are hopeless and helpless. And then when he hears the interruption of two hopeless and helpless men, he remembers, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's not about just checking something off the list. It's about people. I do what I do for people. And so he didn't treat these guys like an interruption. He treated them as his work. People are in desperate need of healing and wholeness. And that's why I'm going to the cross. And that's why I'm going to answer this call. In order to get it done, he doesn't forget who he's doing it for. So I have, we moved a year ago. And we've moved 12 times in 17 years. So I'll get prayer after the service. I mean, we all, no one here likes moving. That might be something we can agree on, but. It's just rough. We're selling a home. It's an old home, so it needs to be fixed up. We're buying a new home, and it needs things as well because it comes with, like, no backyard, and it's pretty, you know, just a, a track home that you're excited to maybe make your own. So anyway, we've got stuff that we're doing here and stuff that we're doing there. It's September at the church, so there's a lot going on at the church, and I'm relating to everything like it's something to get done. And there's a long checklist one of my daughters asked during the process, our youngest, she was like, what the heck is even escrow? And I was like, I, what the heck is even escrow? I don't even know what that is, man. We got a lot of things we got to do, though. And then right about this time I send it in, it's like, well, we need it dated sooner than that, you know? And it's like, well, it took me that long to figure out what you want from me, you know? What the heck is even escrow? And so I'm fixing our old house dealing with things at our new house, just marching through these tasks and to-do lists. And then it dawns on me, we're leaving, and I have to say goodbye to the Colburns. They're our neighbors, and they're the best neighbors we've ever had. He has the most insane set of tools. And at a certain point in our relationship, he just would be like, go back to the shed, see if you can find it. And boy, I did. <laughs> just lived in his shed, you know? Instead of going to Lowe's, I'd just go to his shed, you know? Incredibly gracious, kind family. 
And so it was hard to leave. So Tiff's like, we got to have the Colburns over. I'm like, we got no time to host a dinner. I don't even know if we have chairs around the table. And she's like, they've been such great neighbors. We have to have them over. And I was like, yeah, you're right, man. We have to have them over. And so I wrote with my girls this like cheesy song that we were going to sing to the Colburns. To the best neighbors we've had. To the best neighbors we've had. Moving away is a little bit sad when you've had the neighbors we've had. And then we wrote these cheesy verses about borrowing ice and them finding our dog. And he always had to go on these work trips to go deep sea fishing. And his wife didn't like fish. And so every time he pulled up in the, in the driveway, I was like, dude, hand over the halibut from Alaska. <laughs> we just loved them. And they're great. And so I'm like, yeah, we got it. So, so now loving our neighbor is just, it's on my to-do list, along with like fixing the trim. So we invite them over. They're there. I get with the girls. We're going to sing this funny, silly song. And like, I'm singing the song. And I, and I like, at a, at a certain point, it, it like, dawn, I look up and I like see my neighbors. And it's like this, like, oh yeah, this is what this is all about. This isn't about houses. This isn't about trim. What the heck is even escrow? (laughs) This is about these people, my neighbors. So I start crying. This is a, it's like supposed to be a joke. I'm playing a kid's guitar, you know? And I start crying. Then my wife starts crying. Kids start crying. One of the kids starts saying, well, then why are we moving? You know? (laughs) And, uh, Everyone's crying except for uh, Tyler, the dad, because he's an eight on the Enneagram. So he's like, "Uh uh-huh, interesting. (laughs) Crying. Strange. So that's not true. So, man, it was just this, I had gotten so caught up in the task, I had like forgot. What is this about? This is what this is about. Church isn't a building. It's the people, man. People who went through a tough thing on Sunday. That's what this is. And that's why we do what we do. And please don't, in the midst of the program, forget people. Why we do what we do. Would you stand? I'd like to pray for us.